out your notes for today. In fact, I hope you all got them. If you didn't get a note, uh, a set of notes for today, um, I don't know that our ushers have them. You, do you have them? You do? Okay, raise your hand if you didn't get some, because I would like for you to have these this week. It looks like everybody got served. All right, that's great. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. You know, that just makes sense, doesn't it? You have double the strength. In fact, I once read that uh, two people can lift three times as much as what one person can lift. So you would think that two people could lift two times what one person, but uh, two people can actually lift three times what just one person can lift. So you have the, the added strength that comes, but also encouragement that comes, which is kind of what the rest of it uh, refers to. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But it's bad for a person who is alone and falls because no one is there to help him. If two lie down together, they will be warm, but a person alone will not be warm. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. A rope that is woven of three strings is hard to break. There's an old African proverb that... Uh, I had heard years ago from, actually from Greg Johnson of Standing Together Ministries, many of you are familiar with that here locally, and it goes something like this, I think this is pretty close to the quote, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, you have to go with someone. You have to take someone with you. And so I think we probably get the gist of what that's saying. If you just want to make a splash, Anybody can do that. You can make a splash. You can do that all on your own. And it may be significant for a short amount of time, but it probably won't last for very long. But if you want to have significance in your life, you're going to have to connect with other people. You're going to have to engage other people in the process. Um, and people who have, um, who have learned this process have learned one of the most important keys to success in their life. You've got to be connected with other people. Now, that is true in life in general, but it is also, and even more so true, in the church of Jesus Christ. Some Christians, they think that they really don't need other people, other believers. And I have run into them multiple times throughout the years where they will say something to the effect of, I really don't need anybody else. I can live for God on my own. And, and that's the way they think. And they told me they didn't need anybody else to make it to heaven. And technically that is true. Jesus paved the way, made the way for you to get to heaven. You don't have to have other people to get there. But the point of what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes is that it is so much easier to get there if you're being encouraged by other folks. We really do need one another. And my observation of people who pull away and say they don't, want, they don't need others and, and they can serve God on their own is most of them end up in some destructive teaching or they end up totally walking away from God entirely. The truth is, in life, we really do need each other. We need one another, and especially as Christians. And when I see these trends that are happening in the world, things that we already prayed about this morning, when I see these kinds of trends that are happening in our nation, which may not be violence-based, but 
But when I see the rejection and the diminishing of the Christian faith that is just permeating our society today, I would submit to you that you really need your brothers and sisters in the Lord because everything out there will do its best to destroy your relationship with God and your faith in the Lord. One of the reasons we're doing this fall campaign coming up in a few weeks, about a month, is because we need the encouragement of knowing that we serve a living God, amen? And that we can stand on his promises and that it's more than just a feeling. There's empirical truth to all of this that we can stand on, that we can base our lives on. The truth is we need each other. And that's why I think God gives us these words in Ecclesiastes where he says two people are better than one. They get more accomplished. They're stronger. Now, God's word teaches us about what the church is supposed to be because the church is essentially us together. That's what the church is. And so what does it mean to be the church? Is it all about an organization? Absolutely not. Organization is important. We have organization here. But it's important to facilitate the mission. The organization itself is not the, the uh, plan and directive of God. The organization itself is not the premier focus of God. It is the organism, the life of God within us as his people. With that in mind, I want to talk about three things that are important for us to understand about what God's word says the church is to be. And the first thing I would tell you is this. The church is us. We are the church. That means that the church is made up of people who are to be in a covenant relationship with one another, with God first and then with one another. And covenant relationship is very important. That means we have a, a vow of commitment to one another as God's people. And so what I want you to see is we have fallen into this fallacy of calling the church a building. Like, okay, where is the church? Well, the church is really all over the city. Not in, on the corner of such and such and such and such street, but it's all over the city in you. Because you are the church. The building is not a church. The building is where the church meets. The building is where the church learns. It's, it's where our faith is built up. And it's where we express faith. How it's a place we start growing in that faith. But this building is not the church. You are the church. Listen to how Paul describes the church in his remarks to the Corinthian believers, the first part of 1 Corinthians. He says, to the church of God. Okay, now we're talking about the church. Who's the church? Which is in Corinth... Okay, is the church just in Corinth? All right, let's read on. To all who are called to be God's holy people, who belong to him in union with Christ Jesus, together with all people everywhere who worship our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so when you look down through those verses, what you're seeing him say is, I'm, I'm talking to people who are the church, who are in Corinth, 
but who are also all over the world. And you'll notice several times in here that he talks about the church being people. To the people. In, in that particular scripture, it's the people who are the church. It's not brick. It's not mortar. You see, if this building is the church, then we've got to be careful about who we allow in here. We got to be careful that those who don't qualify don't somehow get in here. And that's how some churches are. Some groups who believe that the building is the church, they have this idea that we've got to keep it holy and pure and, 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 and separated from the world that is out there. I will tell you my heart is, I want to get as much of the world, not the philosophy of the world, but the people of the world in here so that we can touch them with the power of God's glory and his saving power. But many churches, they are, they are fortresses unto themselves from the world. They don't allow anyone who doesn't qualify to get in. And if the unqualified somehow or other sneak in, they get in somehow, and we, be, and we don't know. Once we find out, you've got to get rid of them just as quickly as you can. Anyone who doesn't meet the standard is moved out. I want you to know that life church is not like that. And I thank God because if we were, many of us here would not have qualified to get in if we were like that. You know, you have to be good enough already. That's how the world thinks, is you gotta be good enough to go to church. And they say, uh, you invite them and they'll say, oh, if I go to church, the roof will cave in. You know, some of you thought that, but ta-da, it's still up there. It didn't cave in when you walk through the doors. Why? Because this building is not the church. The church is God's people all over this city. There are churches that keep themselves distant from the world and they think that they're expressing the heart of God. But in my opinion, I think they're, they're doing a great disservice to what the church is supposed to be. I remember a, a lady who came up to me a few years back and she was quite concerned and, and I would use the word appalled at me that she says, do you know that you have divorced and remarried people who are coming to this church? And I said, yeah, I know that. She says, you're letting down the standard. You're encouraging divorce when you do that. You need to keep those people out because other people are going to think that it's all right to be that way. She thought I was encouraging divorce and the breakup of families. And folks, nothing could be further from the truth. We don't condone divorce here at Life Church. We don't encourage divorce. I think you know that. Divorce leads to broken people and broken lives, but we're not in the broken people rejection business here. We're in the broken people restoration and repair business here at Life Church. If you have been broken, and who hasn't? If you've been wounded or rejected or divorced or any of a thousand other maladies that are out there, this is the place for you because that's what all of us were. We were all broken. We've all been rejected. We've all been used up by the devil. But Jesus has restored and he has repaired us, hallelujah. And now we live with a new purpose, with a new life within us and a new desire. And that desire is to be the lived out expression of God 
and God's love to a world that desperately needs it. We're not perfect here at Life Church. We've got people that have problems. We're all people who have problems. And some of us are just starting our journey with the Lord. We've got a lot to learn. But you know what? This is the place for it. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. Hallelujah. We're the church. Number two, as I look in the scriptures, I see that the church is to be a family. We're to be a family. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, we're to be good to everybody is what he's saying. We're to be good to everybody, but especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of believers. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now you're no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family. Wow. We've been adopted in. We're citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. And so you look at the word family in these two verses. God says because we are his church, we're part of his family, and we can call him daddy. Have you read in the scripture where it says we come to him and call him Abba, Father, without losing a sense of awe and reverence for God? We are, in effect, saying in that scripture, we're calling him daddy. It's a close, intimate feel. He's our father. Not, in a, not a father in the sense that, that some fathers are, human fathers are. He is our heavenly father, our father which art in heaven. And we are part of his family. We're drawn together into his family. And so as I was thinking about family, what does that mean? Well, I think it means at least four things, probably more, but four things. First of all, it means relationship. Being in a family means you're in relationship. In the church, sometimes we call each other brothers and sisters. When I was growing up, it's what you called everybody. That was a term of respect, Brother Smith, Sister Smith, you know. That's how you referred to them. Um, I think as time has gone on, we've been more prone to talk and call each other by first names. But we also understand that within the context of that, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, being a part of a fam family means we have a function. We have responsibility, you know. Um, and sometimes the responsibility is stated and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's asked for and sometimes it's not. But uh, we have a responsibility to fulfill within our, our family. And, 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 you know, in our family, Carrie and me, we have kind of, I, I don't know that they've ever been written down, but we have understood responsibilities that, that we, we do. She had me cook once and she said, I'll take over. <laughs> and that, that, uh, that, uh, identified the cooking responsibilities went to her, not to me. But, you know, one of the ways I honor her, and I'm not saying that men that, that don't do this don't honor their wives, but I'm just saying in our family, one of the ways that I've honored her is I get out and do the dirty work of mowing the lawn. I don't want her to do that. That's just one of the ways I honor her. Now, if you're different than that, it doesn't mean, again, that you're not doing it right. I'm just saying that's one of the ways that I 
I'm not going to ask how many of you women have to mow the lawn, so we won't ask that. But that's just one of the things that, that, that we do in our family, you know. And, and she doesn't say to me, are you, going to on, are you going to mow the yard this week? I mean, she knows that that's kind of going on up here, and I'm going to take care of that. And so, we, but we have this sense of responsibility. And sometimes the responsibility might be uh, clearly defined like that, or it just might be, hey, that needs to be done, I'll do it. You know, and it's our love for each other that, that does that. And, and so there have actually been times that I've been traveling a lot and have come home and she did the lawn as an expression of her love for me, you know, because she knew I'd come home tired and wouldn't be able to, well, you know, I could do it, but she, that was a way for her to express love to me. Or, or maybe I'll be walking by the trash can in the inside of the house and I'll see that that needs to be emptied and without asking, should I do it? I do it, you know? And I think it's, it's something that is, is a, a lived out sense of function within the body. We, we help one another as part of being in relationship, as part of being a part of the family. Um, accountability is another one. Uh, I don't just live unto myself when I'm a part of a family. And so if, I, if I'm taken off, if I'm leaving, I'll go, and maybe Carrie's in another part of the house, I'll go to her and say, I'm going over to Lowe's, or I'm going, I don't usually go to the grocery store, but I'm going over to Lowe's, or I'm, I'm going down to the office, and I just want you to know where I'll be, you know. Um, th th this type of, uh, of accountability. So it's, it's not that she doesn't trust me, it's an expression of me being thoughtful that she will know what to expect. She knows where I'm at. She's not worried, well, where did he go? You know, she's not worried about, did I get killed out on the freeway or something? She, she knows that I'm gonna come home at a certain time, and, and I do that as part of accountability. That makes sense, doesn't it, within a family. And then, of course, sacrifice. You know, sacrifice, one of the things that family teaches you is that it's not all about you. You know, once you get married, you know, you find out it's not all about you. You have responsibilities, she has responsibilities. Then the kids come along, and they, they have not only responsibilities, but they, have, they get attention. And so it's not all that she's giving me all the attention. Now there's others that are getting the attention as well. So this is part of the sacrifice that, that we do for one another. Uh, it forces us to think about others when, when we're a part of a family. And I think that's exactly how the church needs to function as a family. Those four principles. Let me just share it with you real quickly. Our fellowship, or excuse me, relationship together won't allow Satan or anyone else for that matter to divide us. That is really hard to do because when you're ticked off over something, instead of handling it right, it's very easy to handle it wrong. But relationships within the body say, I'm not going to allow other people or the enemy to bust up my relationship with, with the, my family of believers, my church. Have you ever known someone who left a church? You probably have. It's amazing to me how many times when they leave, we'll hear that they're making comments about us which are very derogatory. 
And it's like they're trying to justify the, the, their reason for leaving, and they're trying to get you to leave too. Go along with them. And, and when, when that happens, it, it can be such a divisive thing within a local congregation. But our relationships together, when we have proper relationships, won't allow that to happen. And when people say that, when somebody comes up to me and says something about one of you, and because I have relationship with you, I say to them, you know, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's true. I have known that person for a long time, and that's not consistent with the way that they would handle or the way they would respond. You see what I'm saying? Relationships bond us together with cords that cannot be broken. That's important, that we have that kind of relationship together. Our commitment to function, then, makes us fight just being a bunch of, I don't we used to call them pew potatoes. You had couch potatoes first, then in the church we had pew potatoes, but we don't have pews, so we'll call them chair potatoes here. And what is a couch potato? You know what a couch potato is. They just sit there and watch TV all the time with a clicker, and they never do anything. So our commitment to function says, I won't be the kind of person that just comes every Sunday and stares at the back of somebody's head and then gets up and, and leaves and has no relationship and no accountability and no no sense of purpose or responsibility within the, within the fellowship. I'm going to get to work for God. And, and we acknowledge that not everything we do for God happens inside the walls of this church. And as you age, your, what you do for God changes. It just does. Because your physical body isn't maybe able to do everything that you used to be able to do. But nonetheless... Inside the church is a great place to learn how to serve God. It's a great place to learn how to function. Within the walls of, of the church building, we can learn how to function with one another. And out of that then grows our ability to expand that ministry to the world that is around us. So let me ask you, are you functioning for God? within this church fellowship. If this is your church family, you have a responsibility to function, not just to sit and, 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 and find some place where God can use you. Number three, accountability. Accountability allows us to open up to one another and to be honest with one another. Not with everybody, you don't have to get broadcast everything to everybody, but you're accountable to someone and they become a sounding board for you that helps keep you on track. You say, Pastor, do you have an accountability partner? Yes, I have a couple of them. And they, they aren't people in this church. They are other pastors that I have connection with, that I can talk to, and they can help keep me on track. I know that surprises you that I would have to be kept on track. I know you're shocked over that, but uh, sometimes that's important. Accountability is important for all of us. And then third or fourthly is sacrifice. Sacrifice causes me to think of others. What's good for the church as a whole? Not just what do I like, just my own preferences, but what's good for the church as a whole? What reaches other people for Christ? That we, we get a bigger picture kind of an idea. And it's because we're a part of the church family. The third thing I want to say about church biblically is that the church is a fellowship. And fellowship is a natural function of a family. In fact, if you don't fellowship together, 
what, what you have is, is breakup. You have divorce. You have division. Acts chapter 2 gives us a beautiful picture of the church, the early church, the first century church, functioning together as a fellowship. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that is a description of a church in fellowship with each other. And I think fellowship will accomplish four things in our lives. The first thing I think happens is that we, it keeps us sharp. Fellowship keeps us sharp. When you challenge me, when I challenge you, it, keep, it keeps us to the point. It keeps us on track. Sharp. Proverbs 27, iron sharpen, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens a friend. And within the body of Christ, you sharpen each other. You keep each other to the point, on track. Have you ever met a dull Christian? A dull Christian is someone who's out of fellowship. They may even attend, but they're just not in fellowship with people. Fellowship will keep you on track. This past week, our pastoral staff, we all went on a retreat together up in the Heber area. And we stayed in the same house for three days. Now that'll either divide you or bring, bring you together, one way or the other. Three days of that kind of close communion and fellowship. But the reason we did it was to sharpen each other. And we talked about this church. And we talked about where God's taking us. And it sharpened and defined what we believe together as a group of pastors God is saying to us. That's important. Number two, fellowship protects us from selfishness. Because we all have this natural tendency to be self-focused, don't we? And then we think it's all about us all the time. You know, if, you're, if, if it's all about you all the time, I'm going to tell you this, what will happen in your life is you will lose friends. If you're not interested in anybody else, and it's just all about what you want and what you desire, when you get older, nobody will want to be around you. They'll see you coming and they'll leave and they'll go the other direction. Selfishness. Number three, fellowship gives us encouragement. Romans 1 says, for a long time, uh, for I long rather to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. This is Paul talking. And when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. You see that? It goes both ways. I want to encourage your faith, but I want to be encouraged by yours. You know, so it goes both directions. And then lastly, I would say that fellowship empowers our witness for Christ. And you might remember Jesus' words in John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now, you can say you love everybody, but those are pretty shallow words unless you're in fellowship with them and you see their good points and you see their bad points too, amen? You know, when you've been around somebody for a while, you see not only the good parts of their personality, you see the other side. When we are together in fellowship within a church, we learn how to forgive, 
we learn how to encourage, we learn how to think about others. These are all parts of being the church of Jesus Christ. Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we would love to hear from you. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.